Well, hello, everybody. My name is Stacy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm grateful to be here, and I volunteered to go first because I get nervous. I'm so nervous speaking, and I'm so happy to just get it over with. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Um, I went to my first meeting in July 9th, 1992. That was 14 years ago. Um, my first day of the abstinence was September 15, 1995, and that was 11, almost 11 years ago. Um, when I talk about my abstinence and um, that I've been abstinent for 11 years, I always say that it's imperfect. And the reason I say that is because it's not, you know, every meal has not been perfect. There's times I've eaten in beha behaviors that felt compulsive. There's times where I've taken an extra bite and I felt like I ate too much. Um, but there was always four things that I would always do. Um, the first thing I would do if I, if, if I had a slip or um, one is I would forgive myself because in the past with dieting, I would just beat myself up, you know, and just eat more because I felt so bad. So the four things I would do is, one, I would forgive myself. Two, I would tell somebody. Um, three, I would start at the next meal or the next snack, I would start my abstinence again. I, I, I no longer did that while well. I just eat tonight and start tomorrow. Um, I always got right back on. And, and the fourth thing was I would learn from it. You know, I would talk to somebody about what happened, and I would, um, you know, make plans to do things differently. Um, I'm passing pictures around. When I first walked into these rooms, I weighed 196 pounds. Um, I stayed for a couple years. I left for a couple years, and then I came back. Um, when I came back, I had just had my first child, and I weighed 227 pounds. Um, and today I weigh 171. Um, I was worried when I had volunteered to speak today um, about, you know, is my program good enough? Is my abstinence clean enough? Is, am I, you know, am I going to enough meetings? You know, being black and white, I, I want to be, you know, perfect in order to, to speak. And um, one thing that I realized as I was packing to go, I had a very small suitcase, and the, big, the, big, the heaviest things I was carrying was my abstinence food and my recovery book. So I'm like, okay, my program's good enough. I can, I can come here and speak. Um, so, and, you know, in those old days when I, when I was in the disease, um, you know, I would do things like I'd go to the, to the donut store and get a dozen donuts on my way to work and maybe eat five of them in the car. And, um, you know, I'd be wiping off the crumbs off my clothes because you wouldn't want to be, you know, people know you've been eating, you know, all the way to work. And um, I also would do things like I'd stop at 7-Eleven. I think you probably have those. Um, I'm from Chicago. And... Um, Back then, we had, we had 7-Elevens, the little convenience stores, and there was like three different ones on my way to work. And I would stop at different ones because you wouldn't want, you know, to be walking into 7-Eleven every day at 8.30 in the morning and buying like candy bars and cookies and, you know, all the sugar stuff that I would love to eat. And it'd be pretty embarrassing. So I would just go to different, you know, different ones every day so that, you know, so, um, you know, and just. Another thing that, you know, the difference between my, um, my recovery and um, before my recovery, um, when I was pregnant with my first child, I, um, I had left program. Um, I had come here to lose weight, and I had probably gotten some good emotional recovery, you know, my first couple years in program, but the physical recovery, I, I wasn't getting. It wasn't happening. I wasn't losing weight, and that was the whole reason I'm here was to lose weight. And um, so I've been through that first pregnancy and I got gestational diabetes and um, it was so 
um, severe that I had to give myself insulin injections um, because I don't know what they do nowadays, but then you couldn't take the pills, you, had, you know, so um, that was my first, my first pregnancy when I was in the disease and I was overweight and, um, and I had a, a, a C-section and it was a high-risk pregnancy. Um, the second time I got pregnant, I had been in program and abstinent for, you know, over two years. I had lost, you know, all that weight, and um, it was a regular, um, healthy pregnancy, no drugs, no, um, and I had a vaginal birth, too. I mean, just everything was different, and um, so that's a little bit about my history, but I really want to um, talk about steps one, two, and three. Um, as far as step one, being powerless over food and my life being unmanageable, um, I knew the first time I walked into an OA meeting that I was powerless over food and that my life was unmanageable. Um, that part I got, you know, that I understood. Um, but I, I had a hard time with, with the God stuff, you know, and I believed in God, but I just, as far as, you know, this personal, you know, it, it seemed very religious. And it, it, it didn't seem, you know, I felt like it was like against my religion or something to like work this program. And um, it just, I had a real hard time with, with stuff too. Um, at that point. And so I first, you know, I was at step one, I stayed for two years, and then I left. And um, meantime, I had a baby, gained a lot of weight. Um, and then it was, it was a year before my sister's wedding, and we were all going to lose weight for the wedding, and we all joined Weight Watchers. And, um, and the problem was, you know, they talk about the disease progressing, and um, what I found was the more the more that I dieted, I mean, I couldn't even stand for a day anymore. It's like I would diet and binge and diet and binge. And, and finally, I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm powerless over food. And, you know, this isn't working. And I need to go back to OA because that's the only place, you know, where I belong. And that's when I, I came back for the second time to OA. And at that point, I got a sponsor. And when it came to step two, you know, believing in a power greater than myself, a lot of times I was just acting as if. I mean, my sponsor, you know, would just tell, you know, like I'd be going to my grandparents for dinner and I'd always be overeating when, we, when I went there and she'd be, you know, well, just say a prayer inside your head, you know, just, you know, pray for the willingness to be abstinent and, you know, just, you know, would give me the words to say and to pray to my higher power and I didn't really believe it, but I, I did it. And the amazing thing was is it worked and, um, and that was really, for me, where my physical abstinence started, was that when I started believing in a power greater than myself. So I, um, so that was kind of, for me, that was a turning point with, this, with step two and, and really starting to believe and use that power greater than myself. Um, today, as far as step three and turning my life and my will over to my higher power, um, I do that. I do that on a daily basis. I do that with big things. I do that with small things. Um, when I used to come to, you know, retreats or you know, OA retreats, I would see people standing up here, and they would sound so spiritual, and I'd be like, "Wow, they really believe this stuff." You know, it's like me. I was just like acting as if. But you know, I've come after being in this program so many years and working this program and turning my life over and and praying for help, and you know that that I really, you know, that's how I live my life today. Um, and, you know, it could be bigger, it could be small. Um, one major thing that I did was two years ago, we moved to California from um, Chicago. 
my husband joined the Navy and, you know, and we moved out here and, and that was really big. I mean, that was really big because, um, you know, I had to leave everything I knew. I had, I left my hometown, I left my parents, I left my sister, I left my neighborhood and my kids' school and my recovery, you know, everything in my life that I knew, I walked away from. Um, and, you know, and that was pretty big, but every step of the way I, I prayed and, you know, I, and I asked my higher power for guidance and, you know, and I really felt like I was led. Um, you know, other things, when I, um, we were looking for a house and I came out here one weekend by myself and I, and I actually, I bought the house my husband never even saw. You know, when he came home, you know, he came here to close on the house, he had never even seen the house. But um, recently we had to get a new car, I was having car problems. Um, I really, I wanted to fix my car, but, you know, I, whatever, you know, it's like all these things I wind up, you know, I pray for, my, for guidance, you know, to my higher power, you know, because I, I want to do God's will. I don't want to do what my will is, you know, yeah, I'd like a new car, but on the other hand, you know, I want to do what's right. And, um, you know, and, it could, and it's, it's the major things, it's the minor things. You know, I could be going shopping for my daughter for a swimsuit and pray for God's help, you know, it's just, no matter what it is, big or small, I, you know, I ask for God's guidance. Um, and definitely speaking today, um, I hate, I'm not a public speaker, and when I went to my first meeting, I was so nervous just going to say my name. You know, it went around the circle, and you just introduce yourself, and I was so nervous the whole time just having to say my name, and that's all I said at the first meeting. And I've come a long way from there, because you know, because of this program. Um, other things... Um, I thought about as far as, um, like sometimes, like last night, I, I had trouble falling asleep, and I was up in the middle of the night, and, you know, and I just say, you know, God's will be done, you know, if I'm going to be up all night, then I'm up all night, you know, I don't stress anymore, it's just like, if your will is for me to just lay here, then I'm just going to lay here, you know, um, so, and, and the other thing, um, currently, with my husband in the Navy, we're going to be moving in about another year. And um, so, and right now I have no idea where we're moving. Um, we might be moving to the East Coast. We might be moving to San Diego, um, you know, or it might be some other place, you know, that I haven't even, you know, that we haven't even considered. And, um, and I just have to live one day at a time. You know, I, you know, I just trust my higher power wherever that place is, you know, however that works out, that that's going to be where I'm supposed to be. Um, so the next part I, I thought I'd share is how do I connect to my higher power? Um, some of the things I do, um, I write a, a daily letter to my higher power. I wake up every morning, almost every morning, and have a quiet time, and I journal, you know, dear God, and I, I just kind of give it off to my higher power. Um, you know, kind of like talking to a friend. It's like I just, whatever's on my mind, I just, you know, write it down and turn it over to my higher power. Um, I read literature, I go to meetings, I make outreach calls. Um, clean abstinence allows me to hear the voice inside and to heed the voice inside. I mean, that definitely makes a difference. If, you know, if I'm working the program and my abstinence is clean, then I can hear that voice. Um, there's times, you know, I don't have time, you know, to write or to read, but I just say a prayer inside my head. You know, I might be driving somewhere and I know it's going to be hard as far as the food and, and the relationships and being with people and, you know, I may just, you know, ask for my higher power's help just by saying a quick prayer in my head. Um, what, one good suggestion I had found, I think it was in our Voices of Recovery 
one of those um, meditations, this person had talked about like writing a little note during the day and sticking it in their pocket. And I know I have found that to be helpful at work. There's times where I'm at work and something will come up and maybe I've made a mistake and I just feel terrible or, you know, or someone's not nice to me and it makes me feel, you know, whatever it is that just kind of makes me feel. And I'd really like to make an outreach call, but I can't. You know, I'm at work. There's no privacy. I, you know, so I have, just like that little book had suggested, I will take a piece of paper and just quickly say, you know, God, I'm feeling terrible, I made this mistake, I'm embarrassed, you know, please help me put this aside and, and just get to what I have to do. And, um, and I'll put it in my pocket and, you know, and then at the end, of the, maybe at the end of the day, I'll put it in my God box. But um, I, I found that to be helpful. And um, also I have a God box and I got it at a, an OA retreat and all it is is like a, a gift box that's wrapped with wrapping paper and has a little slit, you know, on the top. But, um, there's times when, when I'm really, you know, considering something real serious and I'm really upset or, or confused and I, you know, I'll just write it all out and, and just put it in the God box. Um, so basically everything in my program has evolved over time. My abstinence, um, when I first came here, you know, I defined my abstinence as three meals and no sugar, you know, three meals a day, no sugar, and that has grown to, you know, to include different things. And my spirituality has also grown. You know, I used to, I used to, um, you know, well, one thing, I was very compulsive, of course, and like, the med like I read a meditation each day, and then sometimes, like, I didn't read it that day, and then maybe I skip it the next day, and then the third day, it's like, oh, well, I have to read all three pages now, <laughs> you know, it's like, I didn't want to miss a page, and today, it's like, okay, if I've missed, if I've missed a few pages, then I just go to today's date, and, you know, I don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, and, um, as far as writing, I didn't used to write, and I had a sponsor who, who used to journal, and slowly I'd gotten into the journaling part. And um, so, you know, everything I do in programs has grown and evolved over time. Um, you know, one thing, you know, that they talk about is, um, you know, they say about praying only for God's will for us. And, and I actually kind of give it all to my higher power. I don't just say, you know, thy will be done. I mean, basically... I, I give everything to my higher power, and then I let my higher power decide, you know, what God's will is. But, you know, I don't, I don't hold back from asking or, you know, what, whatever's on my mind I ask for, I, I request, you know, and then, and then I wait and see what I get back. Um, so, I don't know. How am I doing in time? You know, okay, I'm going to start. Okay. Um, anyway, um, I, I have a, a really different life today than I did before I came to program on, on so many levels. Um, Physically, um, I wear clothes, you know, year, year after year and season after season where I, where I can wear the same clothes. You know, I have jeans that are, like, worn out because I've been able to wear them year after year after year. Um, when I first got here, you know, physically I was wearing larger sizes. Um, my mom and my grandmother were overweight, and they would shop in, you know, in the stores with, which only had the large sizes. And, and, I, and that's where I was shopping. And I was in my 20s, you know. And... Um, I had, you know, my daughter, and I'd go to these, this new mom's group, you know, and all these moms were, like, thin and healthy, and I just felt, like, you know, just trying to get down on the ground, and, you know, physically, I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel my best, and, and today I'm strong, I swim, I, you know, I run around with the kids, but, you know, physically, I, I do, you know, anything I want to do, um, emotionally, I've, I've learned so much, I, I, I know I, I once went to a therapist, and, I guess we're talking about feelings, and I think I just didn't know what feelings were. You know, I was so used to, like, being a people pleaser and, 
you know, just not knowing what my feelings are. And today, emotionally, um, you know, I'm really good at understanding my feelings. You know, someone will say something that hurt my feelings, and I don't have to eat over it. I think I used to, you know, we go to my, my, my husband's family's house, and, you know, it's like they say something and I eat. You know, they, they, and then it's like when I was in recovery, it's like, okay, they say something, and it would just hurt. You know, but I, but I wouldn't, like, I didn't go to that next thing, which was to eat. It was just like, okay, let's feel this, and, and eventually, um, you know, learn to even take care of myself, you know, with things like that. Um, but emotionally, I've grown, and spiritually, I've grown. You know, going from, you know, believing in, you know, in God, but not really having a personal relationship, to today having a very personal um, relationship with a higher power. Um, so the last thing I just wanted to close with is it's a meditation from our For Today book, and it's from January 25th, and the first part said, If the blind led the blind, both shall fall into the ditch, the Bible, Matthew. And it said, From diet to designs for living, I look for direction from anyone and everyone who appear to have solutions to my problems. But instead of answers, I found new and sometimes worse problems, and in the end I lost a little more of what self-esteem I had. I found independence when I came to Overeaters Anonymous. The self-honesty this program teaches enables me to trust my perceptions and listen to my feelings. I am no longer attracted to people who would have me believe they know what's best for me. My higher, my higher power is the only source from which I seek such knowledge. For today, if I don't know which way to go, I turn the problem over to God in steps 3 and 11, completely confident that the answers will come. I may discuss the matter with my sponsor and others whom I trust, but I give myself time to learn what God would have me do. And that's that. Thanks. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm from Alameda, about 10 minutes away. So welcome to all the out-of-towners. First three steps. Thank you, Stacy. I really appreciated your share. And um, I guess I want to I, I want to say that just. In, in like a minute, how, how to qualify, I would say I've been in OA for about 20 years. I always trace back how long I've been in the program to when the Oakland fire occurred because my sponsor lost her home in the fire. And I know I was working with her for two years before the fire. And I would think that was the beginning of me coming to OA. But I was in the program at least two years prior to that. So it's been, and I forget that because I didn't have a sponsor then, and it doesn't mean it doesn't count. It's just somehow I was still in a daze the first couple of years. So I want to make sure I talk about that. Um, so I'm really grateful to be here. I've had, uh, I have a long history of under-eating, anorexic behavior, bulimia, and uh, compulsive overeating. I had a long uh, history of 
relatives who are alcoholic addicts or readers, as well as mental illness in my family. So we've got the whole bag. You know, take your pick. It's there. And this, I'm the only person in my family in a 12-step program. Although my eldest brother did find sobriety in his later years, and he was sober for three years before he actually got cancer, but it was a wonderful experience. And he and I were so close through that time and shared so deeply. And when he passed away, we put a, we all wrote a note in the big book and put it in the coffin with him to send him on his way to his journey. So really a miracle. So anyway, what I, what I always want to share about the first three steps, from my own experience, that's all I have to give, is that that's all I did for the first couple years that I was in the program. I mean, it wasn't just a blur of a two-year period. I didn't do any fourth-step inventories, you know. I did very little service. I was a little too terrified to do service. I'd help put literature away after a meeting. That's about all. And maybe put my chair away and one more, you know. But that was about all I could do. I just tried to focus on, number one, going to meetings. Number two, what it meant about this powerlessness what it meant about some kind of higher power and what it meant to believe in it and rely upon it and let it lead me in my life. And these weren't completely foreign concepts to me, but they were, they had a whole different spin to them. Um, I was raised in an Irish Catholic family, taught by nuns through all my education, um, nuns and priests. And so I always, I have to say, I was. I believe I came out of the womb with a belief in God. My mother had been a novice in the convent. She was very religious um, and really, and was very, she was mentally ill as well. But her faith in God was a real thing, even though I knew she wasn't, that she was sick. I had a sick mama. But that faith was a real thing, and I, I know that was what sustained her without any treatment. Or anything. So I felt somehow like God, I, w- I had some kind of God, um, you know, I was sort of, something touched me like a fairy touches you with a wand in that way. And I always believed in God, but it was more of a Catholic God, you know, and that's not the kind of God I believe in today for the most part. So I'm going to start with the first step. I went to my first OA meeting. I started prior to that uh, in Al Anon and spent many years in Al-Anon. At an early age, I was lucky to get into that recovery program. And when I was getting married, I was engaged to be married. My bridesmaids had all been measured for their dresses, and they were getting bigger by the minute. And I knew they needed to go to OA so that they would fit in their dresses by the time I, my wedding date came. You know? So I took my bridesmaids to an OA meeting, which was like, how rude. How, you know, this is how out of touch we are. But I, I knew they would, this would work, because I knew 12-step programs worked. I knew my boyfriend had gotten struck sober when nothing else helped. I knew I was starting to be able to manage my own life versus other people through Al-Anon, and I knew this would work, but it, they hated it and, and never went back. But I loved it, and I was actually underweight at that time noticeably underweight, but I didn't know I needed that program. So all I knew was overweight, 
scares me. It just scares me. So after um, a few years later, I quit smoking and um, broke up with my fiance. I actually canceled my wedding plans and moved back out on my own. And I was left with the quiet, the real quiet that comes from not having a whole lot of other stuff to focus on. And I started really hitting bottom. And I started eating. And I could not stop eating. And I couldn't stop over-exercising. And it was like no matter how hard I exercised, I would eat to keep up with it. In fact, I didn't lose weight. I gained weight. Um, I found a nutritionist who was starting her own business. And I would go to her and she would chart my weight. And what would happen is she would check like a quarter pound I lost. And we had a graph. Well, my graph was like going up and I was white knuckling it, really white knuckling it. And I finally just blew up one day when she weighed me because I worked so hard that week. And I had gained like a pound. And I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I went home and I said to her, I have to go to OA. And I didn't even really know what that meant. But I knew that was the only thing that was going to help me. That was the solution. And so I did right away. I went to her the next day and paid her. We were going to do like 50% of the fee. And then when I reached my goal weight, the rest of it, I just paid her all of it. And I said, I gotta, I gotta do this. And thank God. So I started going, but the powerlessness was, I didn't like being there this time for me because I was so nuts behind the food when my next meal was, the discomfort I felt all the time, the uh, the self hatred. I felt miserable. I hated being fat, and. Um, I just felt this whole sense of futility because I couldn't stop. And I, and I kept trying and trying and trying. And this is that control. For me, the first step is about letting go of control. I no longer am in charge. And I always thought I was. And there's a, there's a part of ego that ties into all this, too. I always was thinner, especially in relationships. Right, especially in destructive relationships. For me, that was a great weight loss program. And high-stress jobs, which I've had many. But in this case, it was like I thought I was doing it. Well, I wasn't anymore, and I was miserable. But in all those situations, I looked good. And my survival had been to look good. At least outwardly, my family would say, but look at Teresa. You know, she's successful. I was like the hero child. My brother and I were, guess what? He was the alcoholic, severe alcoholic. So we were the two heroes. Um, but I was falling apart. And I didn't know how to help myself. And I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And so it's like the control and the denial and the misery were all there. This was a real live bottom. So I went to these meetings and my shoulders were like steel bands because the here was resistance, right? It was for me. And I told myself, wow, you are really uncomfortable. You must need to be here. So I kept, I promised myself I would keep coming and I promised God as I knew him at that time, I'd keep coming until my shoulders relaxed. And that took two years. It took two years of 
being there. And it's interesting, the first three steps were also all I did through that time. So I finally, you know, admitted I, ha I was defeated, as we all do. And then step two was this whole process of trying to formulate a belief in something bigger than I was, greater than I was, you know, this higher power. And my first sponsor had said to me, she was a, a, a former Quaker. She was raised by Quakers, but she defected, as we re rebels do. And she, like, eloped and came back home, didn't tell her parents and all sort of stuff. But she had such a faith. It was like you could just feel it when you were around her. And she told my hands so I couldn't run out of the room after we'd say the closing prayer. And she said, you need to develop a belief in a higher power, one that you can hold on to. She said, and I'm not talking about some chair or some doorknob. I'm talking about the real thing. And I just never forgot that. But we're still, I have goosebumps, like, down to my ankles right now, just thinking about her saying that and how much I needed to hear it. I needed to hear that. And, you know, when you hear the truth, you know it. You know it. At least if it's your truth, you know it. So I started praying to some high... I started going back to my church and sitting in the back pew, because I am a practicing Catholic, but that time I hadn't been there for years. Sat in the back pew and felt so unwelcome and so alone and so shamed, kind of. And it was my own stuff, but that's how I felt. But somebody one day goes like this in the back pew and said, hey, I know you from the meeting. You want to go someplace fun on next Sunday? And I was like, fun? So she took me to this place, which was this really hip cathedral here in Oakland, which um, was incredible. And I walked in that place, and I felt like God was there. And it really turned my program around. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't purport you know, that practice to be the answer. I just know there was something there that called me and somebody led me there. I really believe I was led there. And um, before I really trusted a higher power, I just tried to act as if, you know, okay, if God were really on my side, if he were going to really take care of me no matter what, what would this look like? How would I feel? And... That has, has been just fundamental. I say that to every sponsee I have. You need to have a belief in a higher power that's going to be there for you, take care of you, no matter what, unconditionally. You know, it's not a plus and minus system. It's, it's just an absolute. And I get real shaky in that at times. And it takes a huge amount of trust, I think, to, to build that kind of faith. But... What I experienced and I've seen in other people's lives is once they start to work on that, it's like there's that statement on the wall to expect a miracle. Invariably, there's like some hocus pocus that goes on that a miracle happens for them, almost like that week. Something that you can't explain. It's inexplicable. Who'd have thunk it? This check for $1,000 showed up in the mail. Or, you know, you run into your best friend you haven't seen in 30 years. I, I don't know. I can't explain it, but there's something. And that expects a miracle. has It's just a guarantee. 
And it sort of, for me, built this faith in a higher power. You know, like things like, oh, in the beginning they were really tangible. Like I'd get a card from my insurance company, you've overpaid on your car insurance. Um, you know, thank you very much, but uh, your insurance covers all the, this last dental work. You know, it was like just things like that. And they'd be in writing and they'd be something I could hold on to because my mind would play tricks on me that it wasn't really God, it was this or that. And I would save those things for a long time. Um, I'm going to go on now. Almost done. What I had to do in the third step was to ask, give my food problem to God, to this higher power. But I had to have one to give it over to, right? And if I don't have one, I'm very fal- I, I would falter. And I see that often with with newer people in the program. The intellectuals have the hardest time. Somebody once said, you're ne- you don't have to be, you, you can be, you don't have to be too stupid to get this program, but you can be too smart to get it. And I've seen, I've seen that. I had a sponsee who was brilliant, she was a lawyer, could not get this higher power thing, who committed suicide. And I, I gave the eulogy at her and that does happen in this program. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does because of the despair and the hopelessness. Um, and when I spoke at her funeral, I said, you know, the only thing I can say is that she struggled so hard with that concept of a higher power, you know, that the, the breastplate that will protect me no matter what. And it was really, it was very tragic, but we, a lot of us learned a lot from that. So I have to practice the third step. By the way, I didn't lose any weight for the first two years either. I kept saying, God, please help me lose weight. I didn't for two years because he knew the formula for me. <laughs> you know, steel band shoulders, be there and just listen, work the first three steps, no change in weight. In fact, I gained a little bit. But I would start to say, okay, God, you're in charge. These were like my... my uh, my uh, spiritual prayers. You're in charge. Um, it had to be done 24 hours a day. I'd pray on the elevator going up to work, thank him on the way back down, um, shut my door in the office and ask God to help me not shoot my mouth off in a meeting. I started getting angry and having like feelings started surfacing. And that was from the denial, all that denial. So these feelings start coming up. Without the food, it's very scary stuff. So by the time I reached the third step, I needed a sponsor, and I found a step sponsor. And I will tell you that in working the steps with her from that point, my food changed radically. It has never gone back to where it was. Um, And thank God for her. And I want to share just... um, in closing to say that um, three things. My higher power is my fitness trainer, my career counselor, my financial advisor, my auto mechanic, my social planner, my medical advisor, my retirement advisor, my um, matchmaker. And uh, there are probably 20 others. And there was something that really helped me in the acting of this part, and I'll just share that 
I want to pass something around that's part of my um, program. Can I just talk to you? I got this Disney North volunteer who lives now in Oregon, but obviously somebody in 12 steps makes these stones, and I keep that stone on my kitchen windowsill. So turn it over and you'll see <laughs> the trick. There were three things that I, I, it's like a mantra that goes, I believe, I believe, I believe. And I actually read this 25 years ago in Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And it's a wonderful book for just, you know, some believing in a faith, having a faith. Um, whatever you want to name it, but it was, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe I am divinely guided. I believe I will always make a right turn in the road. I believe that God will make a way where there is no way. And when I'm really in a fearful place, I use the short version, I believe, I believe, I believe, and um, I still do. Uh, The last thing I want to say is something that someone shared with me. Actually, she's an author. She was sharing it with a group of us. Somebody asked her, and she's in 12 steps. She, they asked her about her faith. She said, I, don't, I no longer doubt that there is a God. I know that God lives because I see it in the faces that are in front of me every day, you know, in the poor, in the... In the the elderly, in the suffering overeater, in the alcoholic, I mean, you name it, in the street person. But I see it every day. I see the face of God. I see a bunch of faces today, too. Thanks. compulsive overeater and I'm going to be reading from our um, 12 and 12 today step one we admit well just let me stop for just a second and qualify I've been in program for 13 years and I've been abstinent for 13 years I'm maintaining a 58 pound weight loss when I came into this program I was buying clothes in a size 20 and today I buy clothes in a size 6 or an 8 um, I'm from Healdsburg, California. Okay, step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. For all of us, however, the days of controlled eating grew fewer and farther apart until at last we came to OA looking for a new solution. In OA, we learned that a lack of willpower isn't what makes us compulsive overeaters. In fact, compulsive overeaters often exhibit an exceptional amount of willpower. But compulsive eating is an illness that cannot be controlled by willpower. I started eating compulsively at a really young age, as young as I can remember, whenever I got the chance. And um, by that I mean, for me, eating really large quantities of junk food whenever I could get them. You know, whole bags of stuff. And um, when I was 11, I started dieting. And from that point on, I was always either on a diet, losing weight, or off the diet, gaining weight. And my weight went up and down and up and down and up and down. And 
the older I got, the more control I had over my food and my life situation, and the more my weight went up and down. You know, I I was before I came into OA, I was losing 50 or 60 pounds, and then I was gaining 50 or 60 pounds. Of course, I always gained a little bit more than I'd ever lost. I always hit a new high. Every single time I went up, I went to a new place um, and was horrified. And then I'd get inspired to go on this really strict, usually really strict diet where I'd lose weight really, really fast. And I got more and more discouraged by it. But, um, you know, I was a very successful dieter. The problem is... Um, like I heard the speaker say last night, the whole point of the diet was to get my weight down low enough that I could eat whatever I wanted. Because somehow I thought miraculously that if I hit a low enough weight, I would be able to eat whatever I wanted and I'd stay there. You know, I thought, I don't know what I thought. You know, now looking back on it, I can see how insane it was. But, you know, that was my whole purpose. The whole time I was on the diet, I was thinking about not only how great my life was going to be when I was thin and, you know, how everything was going to be perfect and all the great clothes I was going to buy, but I was also thinking about all the food I was going to eat as soon as I got thin. And, um, you know, I finally got to the point before I came into OA that I realized that diets weren't going to work. I finally, it finally sunk in that no matter how much weight I lost, I was just going to gain it all back. So that was good because I got discouraged with dieting, and that was, you know, probably the first step in getting me here. Many of us believed that our lives would be manageable if only others around us would do as we wanted. We ate to save the fears, the anxieties, the angers, the disappointments. We ate to escape the pressures of our problems or the boredom of everyday life. We procrastinated, we hid, and we ate. We hid from our pain by eating, so we didn't learn from our mistakes. We never grew up. And that was my other problem. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't growing up. I wasn't developing any um, adult skills to deal with feelings. Um, all I knew was to turn to food um, or at least to try to escape from life one way or another. Um, you know, that's how I dealt with problems was to run away from them. And food was a really effective way for me to run away. Our current methods of managing have not been successful, and we need to find a new approach to life. Having acknowledged this truth, we are free to change and to learn. Once we have become teachable, we can give up old thought and behavior patterns which have failed us in the past, beginning with our attempts to control our eating and our weight. Honest appraisal of our experience has convinced us that we can't handle life through self-will alone. First, we grasp this knowledge intellectually, and then finally come to believe it in our hearts. When this happens, we have taken the first step and are ready to move ahead in our program of recovery. So, I got discouraged with dieting, and um, sometime in my early 30s, I decided, the heck with this, you know, it's obvious I'm just going to gain the weight back, I'm just going to quit dieting, and I'm just going to be fat and happy for the rest of my life. I'm going to eat whatever I want, and I'm not going to worry about it. And then I thought, I'll reach, you know, I'll get to a certain weight, and then I'll just stabilize, and I'll just stay at that weight, and I'll be happy. And what happened was, first of all, I was not happy. I was miserable, more and more miserable every day. 
And my weight did not stabilize. It just kept going up and up and up. And I started having health problems. And um, I had heard about OA about 15 years before I ever came into program. Someone told me about it. And um, I, my first thought when she told me about it was, I was still dieting in those days, was I don't need OA. I just need a good diet. You know, I just need the right diet. As soon as I find the right diet, everything's going to be fine. And every time, you know, I go off my diet and gain the weight back, you know, this idea of OA would come back to me. But um, I knew what the 12 steps were. This person who told me about OA was very active in one of the 12-step programs, and I had read the 12 steps. And, you know, I remember at the time hearing them thinking, this is wonderful. This is really, uh, you know, blueprint for living. I can see how this would really work and really change your life. Unfortunately, I don't believe in God. <laughs> and so there's no way I could do this. But I could see where it would be fantastic for somebody who did believe in God and know it would really work. As I got more and more discouraged, you know, I was trying my fat and happy thing and I was really just fat and miserable. I thought about OA again. I went so far as um, I was in a used bookstore one day, and I just wandered over to the self-help section, and they had a whole bunch of OA, 12 steps of OA books in there. It was before they came out with the 12 steps and 12 traditions, so they just had the steps. But I pulled one off the shelf, and I opened it up and just looked at the list of steps again. And, you know, the God thing didn't even stop me this time, but I got to step nine. And I read that step, and I thought, I thought of something I had done when I was in college that I was really ashamed of, and I thought, I can't make amends. I can't make amends for that. I can't admit I did that. So I just put the book back on the shelf and said, I can't do OA. You know, this isn't going to work for me. But what really kept me from coming into the rooms in the end, the last, the very last obstacle, um, and you know, other things happened. I, I started really seriously thinking about going, and I was having an awful time figuring out where the meetings were. I called the OA number in my county, and there was information on there, but they didn't tell you when and where the meetings were, and you had to call a real person to get that. So I called one of the numbers, and I got an answering machine, and I didn't want to leave my name and phone number. I didn't want somebody calling me back. You know, it took so much courage to call, and I didn't want somebody to call me back when I might answer the phone in front of somebody or whatever, or I just wasn't prepared to talk about it. Um, so I, I had an awful time finding the meetings. And then finally I realized in my little local newspaper from my little town, they were listing when the OA meeting was, the place and date and everything. So then I had that. But, you know, just I just kept not going and not going and not going because – the hardest step of all 12 of them for me to take in the end turned out to be the first one. Um, I admitted to myself that I was powerless over food, and I definitely knew my life was unmanageable. But to walk into a room full of people and say that I was powerless over food felt so demoralizing. I just could not imagine doing it. I was just terrified. I was so embarrassed, you know. I was really, even though... You know, I was drastically overweight. I was miserable. I was contemplating suicide. I hated my life. I, I still wanted everybody to think I was perfect. You know, even though I was grossly overweight and, you know, it was obvious I wasn't, I still wanted people to think I was perfect. And 
to walk into a room and admit that I was powerless over food, of all the stupid things. You know, it would have been easier if it had been drugs or alcohol, I think, or at least that's how I felt at the time. Food just seemed like the most shameful thing to be, you know, powerless over. But, you know, my experience was, and I, I really firmly believe that taking the first step was walking through that door. And I walked through that door, and it was immediately such a relief and so easy and so right. And um, I was real confused at my first meeting. I couldn't understand what the word abstinent meant. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do it, whatever it was. I didn't even know what it was. And, you know, my life began to be transformed from that point. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Where eating is concerned, we have acted in an extremely irrational and self-destructive manner. We have frequently lied about what we have eaten. We have stolen food from our friends, family, and employers. We have eaten beyond the point of being full, beyond the point of being sick of eating. We, We have continued to overeat, knowing all the while we were disfiguring and maiming our bodies. We have isolated ourselves to eat, damaging our relationships, and denying ourselves a full social life. For the sake of our compulsive eating, we have turned ourselves into objects of ridicule, and we have destroyed our health. Then, horrified by what we were doing to ourselves with food, we became obsessed with diets. Usually we lost weight, but as soon as we started eating again, the compulsive eating behavior returned along with the weight. Nothing permanently solved our problem. After a while, we became battle-weary and discouraged. The prospect of being obese, sick, and out of control for the rest of our lives led some of us to to conclude that life was simply not worth living. Many of us thought about suicide. Some of us tried it. As our compulsive eating progressed, it became harder for us to get enough. Instead of bringing comfort, the overeating backfired. The more we suffered, The more we ate, the more we suffered, yet we continued to overeat. Our true insanity could be seen in the fact that we kept right on trying to find comfort in excess food long after it began to cause us misery. And that's what was happening to me. Um, You know, I wasn't dealing with life. I didn't know how to deal with life. Um, Everybody in my family, all my role models, were addicts of one kind or another. Um, that's how they dealt with their problems, and that's how I dealt with my problems. And life was not going the way I wanted it to, and I really was thinking fondly of suicide. Suicide seemed like the, the way out. You know, I was trying to escape from my life. I didn't realize until I come into this program and worked the steps how much I hated my life and myself. But I was trying so hard to get away from it. Um, and suicide just, you know, became like a fantasy. I didn't, you know, I I didn't actually try it. Um, I don't know if I ever would have, but I just want, you know, I had gotten to the point where I wanted to not wake up when I went to sleep at night. You know, I just hoped I wouldn't wake up the next morning. And... That, you know, it was really at that point that I um, was finally willing to come to OA. 
because I was so unhappy and, you know, really thinking about dying that I thought, what the heck, you know, if if I'm going to kill myself, why not just try walking into an OE meeting, I mean, <laughs> as a last resort. Little by little, we saw how much pain our way of living was causing us. Gradually, we came to believe we needed to change. In all of life, as well as with the food, we were irrational, unbalanced, insane. If our willpower and determination couldn't change our unsuccessful way of living, what could? Clearly, a power greater than ourselves had to be found if we were to be restored to sanity. OA doesn't tell us we have to believe in God, only that a power greater than ourselves will restore us to sanity. We are invited to define that power however we wish and relate to it in whatever way works for us. By the time I came into this program, um, although my weight was, you know, the highest it had ever been and I was totally out of control with my eating and really, really insane um, with my eating, what really brought me in here was um, if I was going to go on living, I had to find some way to be at peace with my life and myself. I, um, when I got into program, I, it might have been after my first meeting, certainly by the time of my second meeting, I sat down and wrote a list of what I wanted out of this program. And I don't remember if losing weight was on that list at all. If it was, it was like the very last thing on there. Um, I know the first thing I wanted was just to have some peace and to have some contentment with my life. You know, I was so discontent with everything that was happening in my life. And that's what I wanted more than anything. So I had no trouble with the part of the two-step about, you know, being insane. I mean, I knew I was insane. That was very clear. But um, the higher power part was hard, although... By the time I came into program, I wasn't fighting it anymore. I still didn't really have a working concept of a higher power, but I, I did have a working concept of acting as if. As if. And um, very early on in the program, working step two, one of the questions I had to answer from my sponsor was to write a description of what you know I wanted my higher power to be. And that was so helpful to me. Um, I just started writing, and um, basically what I wrote is still as true today as it was then. You know, 13 years later, I really haven't changed. It's very vague. It's, um, I really was not raised um, in, I certainly was not raised by spiritual people, and I really wasn't raised in religion. For a short time, we attended a church when I was very, very young, and my parents got mad at the church for something they did and we never went back and um, so my parents and grandparents didn't go to church um, you know and I had dabbled in my friend's religion as I was in high school and stuff like that but you know there were always things that turned me away things that made me mad and said oh I'm not going to go back there I don't like what they're doing about this that or the other thing but I have this very vague working concept of a higher power that just you know it, it feels right to me everything that I say feels like the truth And, you know, I know, I just believe in my heart. You know, working on those steps, I I actually wrote this, that I said, you know, probably if you asked every single person in a meeting what their definition of a higher power was, it would be completely different. And yet, they all are true. 
You know, a higher power is a very nebulous thing that can, you know, be different things for different people. And um, I really believe that. And that really helped me because it made me much more open-minded about religion that I tended to be really scornful of in the past. Um, so that was, you know, just very helpful to me. We were free to set aside theological arguments and examine the idea of a spiritual power in light of our own desperate need for help with our lives. Some of us began by asking ourselves, what do I need from a higher power? What would I like such a power to be and do in my life? Once we identified this power for ourselves, we found we felt at ease with it. Then we began to act as if such a power existed, and we found good things happening to us as a result. Um, and that's what happened to me in OA. You know, I actually, before I even came to OA, um, I was actually attending another 12-step program. And I was hoping that other 12-step program, which to me was not an embarrassing one because it was for codependency. And I actually considered codependency a virtue rather than a character defect, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so I was proud to walk into that meeting. Um, but in working that program, I was hoping that somehow, you know, just by working that program, it would help me with my compulsive overeating. And so, you know, one morning I found myself walking to, to the bus stop to go to work, and I praying to God, saying, um, please help me stop eating compulsively. And this voice just kept saying, go to OA, go to OA. And so, um, you know, that was shortly before I finally succumbed and came into program. There have been so many things in this program, you know, things I've heard people share in meetings, things sponsors have told me to do, things, you know, the program literature has told me to do, things that God has told me to do, you know, and I, I hear God talking to me from time to time like that. And, um, you know, my first reaction is to scoff at it, to say, oh, there's no way that's going to work, you know, or that, that's not right for me, or I, I'm not going to do that. But what I have discovered in this program, you know, what has made me come to believe is just trying it. I just try what's suggested, and it always works. You know, it, it's always good. It always teaches me something. It always shows me there's another way. It always shows me that I don't know how to do things. You know, I think I know how to do things. I think I know what's right for me, but I don't. And... Um, you know, that's how I've come to believe. You know, I've come to believe that this program works. I've come to believe in my higher power just by trying things and discovering it really does work. You know, I felt so much better after I walked into my first meeting. I felt so much better after I got abstinent. And my time is up, so thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Let me ask it. The question seems to be, how do you... 
Sorry. Well, this question said, how do you know whether you're, you've slipped or broken your abstinence? Um, I don't understand how to count abstinence. What is it? For? Is that all myself? For, for myself. Um, for me, I've always had a hard, a hard time, I, like, labeling myself in relapse. You know, I would have a slip. Um, you know, different. there's definitely different people who have different opinion on this. But for me, it didn't seem to work um, to label myself that I'm in relapse. And luckily, like I said, I would always get back on in the next meal, the next snack, and, and make changes going forward. But, you know, somehow, you know, and I heard somebody at a different convention once say, you know, if they were abstinent for 364 days of the year, and for one day, you know, they, they had a slip, um, you know, they didn't feel right discounting everything they had done, you know, to say, well, now I'm in relapse. Um, so for me, that negative label didn't, didn't work, although I do have, you know, friends in program who, who see it differently, you know, but I just, for me, it was more positive to just, you know, pick up the pieces and go forward. Um, <laughs> when you've been in OA a long time and the weight is still the same, does this mean we need to redo the first three steps or haven't taken them? Well, that's a tough question because um, my experience has been I had to be in OA a long time before I started seeing the physical recovery. Um, and it was a blessing, like I said, that I was here the first two years before I started losing weight because that's what kept me here I wanted that I wanted to be thin I didn't want to be fat um, I still don't want to be fat you know because it's not a good place for me to be um, does it mean I need to redo the first three steps well it has it has always been a good practice for me to go back to you know what's going on you know, if I see, and what I see is a flare-up. When when um, when I'm, my food gets slippery, it's a flare-up, and I go right back to the first three steps. And I don't panic. There's something somewhere further in the book that says we don't panic. We get back to the steps. And so for me, it's a barometer because I can be in such denial about feeling that when there's a flare-up, I'm like, whoa, what's happening here? And I see it very quickly. Um, I don't know that it means that if you haven't lost weight right away that you're not doing it right. Um, my experience has been slow is real. Thank you. How do you surrender? Not very easily. Um, you know, it's really hard for me. Um, I was listening to one of the other speakers about, you know, God is being, you know, their advisor on every little thing and thinking, you know, God, that is so not that's my way. Um, I still, my first instinct is always my self-will. Um, I usually only surrender when I hit the brick wall. 
and um, or if I'm, you know, really, really terrified, I, you know, just sharing about how hard it was for me to come into a program, um, you know, you can see how hard it was for me to surrender to that. Um, you know, I just have to be totally frustrated and demoralized. I have to hit bottom. Um, but once I do, I get so much help. And I think the longer I've been in program, the more quickly I turn, you know, to help and the more easily I surrender. Um, just it's starting to get to be a habit. Um, it's not my first instinct, but it's starting to be like almost, you know, the second thing I think of almost right away. So thank you. Thank you very much. question for me. It says, how do I take the leap of faith and go beyond acting as if when I cannot, when I can never trust even my family? Um, I guess for me it was gradual. It was over time and, and it's never perfect. I mean, there's still times today where people in program have to remind me to trust my higher power and, and you know, pray for an answer and you know, so even today, you know, I need reminding. Um, I think it was a matter of trying it and seeing the results, you know, turning something over to God and then having a miraculous answer, or, you know, something, you know, just come, you know, come together. Um, so I think it was just, you know, acting as if and, and seeing the results and being, wow, maybe there really is something to this. And, and I remember somebody used to have me... Um, have, have a notebook and kind of keep track of those little things because, it, you know, like someone said, you know, it's easy to forget those things. So, you know, when someone that, you know, they said about the money coming in the mail or, you know, when, when those little things happen and it almost feels like a God thing, you know, to keep a record, to keep a list, you know, and so then you can refer back to that and then see over time, you know, how many of these little things just kind of add together. And um, so, and... You know, as far as the trust part, you know, I think one part is also having a sponsor, you know, that you can work with. Um, you know, I think that's, that's always really helpful when you find that person who can be your loving witness and can be there for you. And so, and and um, and there's, I know there's a line somewhere that says about trusting people who are trustworthy and, um, you know, learning you know, when you make those friends in program in the fellowship or those people in meetings or those people that you can just, you know, trust and depend on and who are there for you and support you. So how do you make abstinence the most important thing in your life without exception? I have um, really looked toward the winners in this regard, people who have long-term recovery. And when I feel like I'm in a, in a tough situation, you know, um, a, a, usually it's a life situation, and it's driving me to want to really beat. Um, they say, put abstinence first. 
No, but you don't understand. I don't think I can pay my mortgage this month. Put your abstinence first. No, but I think I'm having problems. You know, I think I need knee surgery. Put abstinence first. You know, my husband's going to leave me. That w wasn't my dilemma, but put <laughs> maybe someday. The, um, put abstinence first. And it didn't make any sense to me, but it was all they said to do. And so what would happen is by putting my abstinence first, I get clarity. When I'm faced with life's problems, often I get really afraid and fear drives me to want to eat, you know, comfort, safety, and all that. And I can't think straight when I'm afraid. And if I eat, I'm going to just keep fostering, fueling that fear. So I've got to stay clear. I've got to stay out of food in order to deal with life on life's terms. And that has really helped me a lot. Put your abstinence first, even when it doesn't make any sense at all. And um, and to say it out loud in meetings for today, I'm putting my abstinence first. I wanted to go back to my surrender question for just a second after I had a second to think about it. Um, in, and just address the aspect of getting abstinent um, and surrendering. You know, it says in our literature somewhere that, you know, we didn't know how we could continue overeating and we didn't know how we could, you know, live without the overeating. That's, you know, how I was when I first came into OA. I knew I couldn't go on the way I was. I was totally, um, you know, it wasn't working. My life was not working. I couldn't keep overeating the way I was overeating, but I could not conceive of life without overeating. You know, I could not conceive of facing life without the excess food. It was, the, you know, impossible to imagine. And um, what I found was as soon as I stopped overeating, it was so easy. Um, it was so, I was so happy. I was so relieved. I was so um, hopeful. And, um, but, you know, just to put down the food, just to call someone and ask her to be my sponsor, you know, the first day I did that, and she said, well, what are you going to eat, you know, for the next 24 hours? And to have to say, you know, off the top of my head, try to think of something real quick, and to say, this is what I'm going to eat, um, you know, I thought, how am I going to do this? I mean, I knew I could go on a diet, but... I didn't know how to be abstinent, um, and I can't—I just can't tell you how easy it was, what a relief it was. You know, I just said it, and I just did it. And I woke up the next morning, and I didn't have to—the first thought through my head wasn't, oh, my God, what did I eat last night? You know, I woke up the next morning, and I had done it. And... Um, you know, I guess, you know, surrender is kind of like stepping off a cliff and just trusting, you know, that something's going to hold you up. And it is so scary, and it really works. That's all I can say. Okay, my next question is, how can I help myself open up to steps one, two, and three? For me, again, um, you know, Steps one and two especially um, were just a matter of, you know, being so miserable 
that it was kind of like, well, this is the last thing I'm going to try before I kill myself. You know, if I if I miss if life is this miserable and I don't want to live it anymore, why not just try going to a meeting? Why not just try pretending like there's a higher power? Um, you know, especially step two. You know, for people who are really struggling with that. My, my experience was I just started praying to something that I couldn't describe, had no idea what it was, didn't even, you know, really believe that it was out there. You know, when I was answering questions, I remember writing for my sponsor saying, you know, maybe this is all just a pie in the sky, you know. I'm praying for help to this, you know, thing that doesn't even exist. And then I wrote, but who cares? It's working. Who cares if there's nothing out there? You know, that's the, that's the miracle of it. There doesn't have to be anything out there. It still works. Thank you. We'll now have three-minute shares. Please limit your shares to three minutes, and please stick to the topic. Please be sure you've signed the case you need for. And we'll leave this right over on the um, podium there. So, um, go for it. Good morning, I'm Ralph, and I compulsively eat foods that are not at all healthy for me. My goal here is to continue to proclaim my unwillingness, therefore it will lead to my willingness. That's what I'm after here. Because I have been going to OA meetings for about a month now, and I've admitted that I obviously am compulsive about my food consumption, but I'm not willing to take the very first step. And I'm not quite sure really if there's any difference, but I do know that I'm not willing to step over that line and off the cliff, if you will. Probably that's my biggest concern is the fear of stepping off the cliff and also giving up control. Because I have for 26 years now been clean and sober from alcohol and drugs. And I spent a lot of time in the 13 years prior to that over-consuming alcohol and drugs. In fact, if I average it out my whole lifetime, it would be less than moderate. It would still be more than moderate drinking. So I, I freely admit that, and I, I was out of control with it. My anger issues are another one that I have addressed in recent months and just simply said that I can't handle my anger. I took an anger management class. I, in another month, I will celebrate a year without raging screaming and yelling, pounding my fists, throwing anything, and I've never gone more than a few months without that. But there's just something about the gig of food. Obviously, it's pretty easy for me to hide a distorted relationship with food because I'm thin. To a person, and when I tell them, friends and associates, I'm going to AA, what? And I've, li I've used that living a lie to some extent, to my advantage for a lot of years, to hide my distorted relationship with food. I overeat tremendously sometimes 
And then I don't eat much, and if the weight goes up, I bring it down. I lost 40 pounds a few years ago, and I've gone up and down, up and down. So uh, I've been uncomfortable and have this distorted relationship, and I love everything I see here, everything I read, and everything I hear. It's completely genuine, and I just uh, one of the things I love most in life is genuine emotions, if not the most, the, the, the thing I love most. So I like everything except the fact of, oh no, I don't dislike my unwillingness. I was going to say I don't like my unwillingness. But what I really believe in, how do I know my three minutes is up? You're watching? Okay, thank you. What I really believe though, and I stated this yesterday, and I'm going to continue to do it until I proceed forward, is that I accept my unwillingness. I'm rejoicing over my unwillingness because that's the only way I'm going to change it. Whenever I try to stubbornly refuse to admit that I'm this or that, I continue to be this or that. So acceptance is the key, and I accept myself. Thank you. My name is Cher. I'm a compulsive overeater. I just wanted to um, talk about uh, my moment of surrender, and that was um, in 19. It was Valentine's Day, 1989. Um, my husband bought me a box of chocolates, and it was kind of a he would have been damned if he didn't, damned if he didn't, but he did. And uh, I had been going to OA for about seven months uh, after trying all the things we try. And uh, so that, that morning, you know, I looked at the chocolates and I thought, you know, they'll nev- that they'll never, there will never be any of those chocolates left by the end of the day. I didn't know how long it would take me to get through them, but my usual was just to, you know, have one and then another, and then another, like we do. So um, I called somebody from the program. It was the first phone call I had made. And she um, she told me, oh, put them, um, give them away. Well, I'm not going to give them away. And, you know, somebody else, I called another person. They said, well, put them on a top shelf. Well... <laughs> Then another one suggested that I put them in the freezer. What a novel idea, frozen chocolate. Not that I had ever not thought of that idea. (laughs) So um, the first person I called had talked to her sponsor about me. And later that evening, um, that woman called me. And uh, she asked me, you know, the woman had told her what my problem was. So... She said, well, how many chocolates are left? And I said, two. And um, she said, do you want to put them down the garbage disposal? And I thought it was the same as her saying, do you want to put your hand down the garbage disposal? <laughs> so um, I, of course, couldn't 
fathom that idea. So she talked to me for about 40 minutes, and at the towards the end of the conversation, I put the last two pieces down the garbage disposal, and it was like the first act of willingness that I ever had with this disease, and um, and I maintained well. I'd lost some weight initially, and then um, I finally lost like the last 15 pounds, and I've been maintaining that for about, um, so altogether about 40 pounds too, um, for for the last um, I think six years now that I've you know been at what I consider my goal weight, and um, and I just I can't tell you enough how grateful I am about this program. It's just amazing. But, you know, it took a physical, it took a physical act of the garbage disposal to do it for me. Thank you. Going for me of uh, OA. Uh, when I came into OA, it was to get sugar off my back because when I was a teenager, I said, That's what I am, I'm a sugarholic um, because of the ways that I ate sugar. And it took me, um, took me a long time in realizing that I couldn't do it and I was totally, really got to total powerlessness and. Um, realized that my higher power had removed sugar from me in this program through doing the what the program suggests, the tools, doing writing, doing calling, connecting with people, which took me a while to, to accomplish. And um, since that time, it's been going through one, two, three with um, different foods, different uh, Relationships, handling this new situation, and um, I'm still going through one, two, and three. I was noticing that that last night we got dinner and I couldn't figure out how much to order and got too much and they were able to take some home, but ended up eating more than you know it would have been better if I had eaten less. Okay, so I'm still. I'm grateful that I am going through steps one, two, and three on a daily basis and talking about what I know that I'm powerless over and can hopefully can be a learner and can be learning in each new situation of how to handle things, how to handle this particular circumstance or that particular circumstance, how to, to um, what do I need to do to deal with, what am I feeling today Help is helpful because then I know what emotional leg of the stool so if I'm going through 
anger, then what am I, what is, what is that? How am I going to be dealing with that aspect of my life? And it was really helpful to hear um, the shares, so thank you very much. And uh, thank you all for being here. I'm a compulsive eater and a bulimic, and this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. I'm very nervous, but um, I was thinking about surrender, and um, for me, my surrender came, it wasn't, um, I started OA in 79, first got introduced to it, but it wasn't until 2000, and I was lost of um, relapses and all kinds of stuff. But in 2001, I had my real surrender, and that was when it wasn't my worst binge bulimic episode. But I remember um, kind of stumbling up to the front door of my house, and my uh, boyfriend at the time, now my husband, opening the door, and I'd lied to say I had to work late and all this stuff. And he immediately knew something was wrong, and he, being an addict himself, he immediately knew something was wrong with me. And uh, he said, I said, uh, oh, I said, gosh, I did it again or something like that. And he, and he just looked at me and goes, you know, I'm really scared. And um, I don't, I don't, I love you. I don't want to leave you or anything, but I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I don't, um, and that was my surrender because I realized how much, it wasn't just about hurting myself. It was about hurting someone else. And then all those different first, second, all those steps, I'd gone through because I'd gone through the steps many times. It really hit like visceral how I hurt other people, my daughter, my family, myself, and um, and that was my surrender when I knew that I couldn't do it. It just it wasn't that I was going to lose. Oh my God, I'm going to lose a relationship. I've got to do it for that. It was that. Oh my gosh, this this is hurting other people, and so that helped me remember. Um, when, you know, when that, I, I don't want to binge anymore. I have no desire. I really don't have a desire to compulsively binge or overeat. And, and, but what I, but there are times, of course, when um, I'll, I'll have a, a lot of emotional um, bottoms. And that's when I hit the wall and I finally have to do step one, two, and three about different situations in my life. And that includes managing my weight. Um, everything. I, it's, it's more of if I have an awareness, maybe I'm feeling uncomfortable with my clothes or something like that. Or I, I really, as soon as I start controlling it, I'm, I'm going to gain weight. And when I surrender it, all of a sudden, some new idea, maybe suddenly my higher power through a friend introduces, hey, this is what I eat for breakfast. Or this, and, you know, finding out that gives me more energy than what I was eating. And I've also learned to be more, um, like listening to my hire was getting rid of my rigidity around food plants because I thought it would have to be like the commercial one that I uh, always went back to. And um, I had to really listen and accept about flexibility. And, um, and so that, my higher power has helped me with that too. Um, 
I think that's it. I'm, I'm just so grateful for this program, and um, I know the answer is always in the first three steps. I mean, it's in the steps. And I don't, and I resist them sometimes, especially now I'm in some self-righteous justification of um, anger and resentment about some stuff. And or not even as far as anger, but just like, I just want to hang on to some stuff, and I go, like, I can't do that, you know. But I don't even, but I have to act as if and open myself to my higher power changing me through the steps, because I cannot change that myself. So I'm very grateful, and thank you for speaking. I got a lot out of it. It's now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and everyone who shared. And then can we all please stand and join hands as we close the meeting with the OA promise that put my hand in yours.